Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Hear the words of the Lord. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and the full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed, instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are uh, two distinct ways that a, a, a group or a colony or an organism can have an effect on another one. Uh, for instance, we're all pretty familiar perhaps with the biology of a white blood cell. White cells are those that uh, are out to protect us. And so 
as they come to an organism that's not supposed to be there that could be destructive to us, you may know, of course, that they graduate, start changing, morphing, and there's a little opening, and it almost looks inviting, you know, like, come in, let's play a while. And so the organism comes in and is gradually enveloped, and of course, then it's destroyed, dissolved, and dismembered, and it's gone. That can describe what certain cults and certain churches by the name of Jesus Christ do to people because of the lack of love, because of gossip, because of all kinds of abuse of power, because of denying the Word of God, of denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. People can be eaten up as though the organism itself is destructive and not beneficial. I think of another very different illustration, and I've only seen this program once, and that is the dog whisperer. Uh, Cesar uh, Mullen, I believe is his name. Um, Millen, Millen is his name. Anyway, um, the dog whisperer has a different kind of society for an errant dog. Typically, a dog comes in misbehaving, uh, not obeying its owners, hurting other dogs, wild and destructive to itself and everything around it. And, of course, the dog whisperer has an individual relationship with that dog that is critical because he teaches the dog that I am the master. But it was interesting to see the effect of the whole society. He has this troop of 30-plus dogs It looked like And, of course, to some of you, that would just give you the willies. You know, think of that many dogs running around. And for others of you, you think, oh, I wish, you know, because you love dogs so much. Um, Of course, worse emotions would come if I mentioned a cat, but we won't mention a cat right now, But um, which I do sometimes. (laughs) I have people remind me, you know, some of us don't like cats. Okay. But uh, with these... Dogs, the, the effect of these dogs on this dog is they already are exhibiting the behavior that he wants this dog to have. They're exhibiting the, the submission to him as the leader of the pack. And they bring their discipline to bear on that dog sometimes as if it act, acts out of line. And sometimes in a matter of Hours, the dog's behavior has already undergone a change. And then in days and weeks, the dog is completely transformed. It's a good illustration, I think, of what we hope to be and do as a congregation. Not to be, let's say, instead of a white blood cell, an amoeba, because that's more of a, you know, ugly sounding thing. But that, and they do the same thing. But not to be some kind of destructive amoeba but that we are providing a society and a fellowship in which, as we see here, uh, the biblical love in the Old Testament with the word kesed, which means unfailing love, faithful love, steadfast love, that that love is being worked out in our congregation and that people are experiencing the transformation of that love when they come into our congregation and in turn we are extending it to more and more people. That's the vision of the church on earth. That's the kingdom of God operating. 
being transformed by God's Kessid love through Jesus Christ, interacting with one another, learning what that love means through our interaction with one another. It's interesting, it's fascinating that in Ephesians chapter 3, as Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would work in y'all, okay, plural, as we say in Alabama, <clears throat> or Texas, now I've learned, but praying that the, the, the Spirit would strengthen you all with power, that you would, being rooted and grounded in love, and most every commentator would say, this is rooted and grounded in the love that you have for one another. Okay? Rooted and grounded in the love that you're enjoying as a fellowship, that then you will have strength to comprehend with all the saints. You see, in union with the saints, as the love of Christ is pouring forth in each other's lives because of Christ, then you will understand what the breadth and length and height and depth and, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Not on your own in a monastery somewhere, but in fellowship with God's people, experiencing the very love of Christ in their love toward you and you toward them. That's the biblical model. Community. Community. And that's what we're going to look at here as we see Ruth being folded into community. Specifically, you might say the focal point or the touchstone of the love from the community is coming from Boaz himself. But he represents, you see, the community of Yahweh that has been has experienced his chesed love and now is, sh- is reaching out and showing that chesed love to Ruth and then to Naomi. Now, interestingly, in this uh, second chapter, the first verses, the first three verses are kind of introduction to the passage. And then verses uh, 4 through 17 uh, are kind of the outflow or the unraveling of the history of what happens between Ruth and Boaz. But what you've got is a, a huge revelation of Ruth in the first chapter, and then an introduction of Boaz in the first verses, and then there's this kind of unfolding and saying, all right, let's see how Ruth and Boaz came together. And, and mainly it's unveiled in in dialogue here. It's not so much action, though there's some, but it's dialogue, back and forth, back and forth. And there's a quick revealing of the magnificent love that is in their hearts and operating in their lives. But in, in the first three verses, there, there's a kind of, here's Boaz introduction here. And it comes in several different ways. So first we're going to look at this introduction in the first uh, few verses, and then we'll look uh, and tell the story of their meeting. But in the first few verses, verses you've, you've got the first verse, which is a basic uh, aside. It's a break out of the blue. You're just going into history, and then suddenly he says, there's this guy, Boaz. Uh, and so that just immediately makes you realize, okay, this guy must be important because he's stopping everything to tell us about Boaz. Uh, but then also he's told, we're, we're told he's a worthy man in the ESV. 
Uh, NIV says he's a man of standing. Some translations include the word wealthy. But the, the deal is he's a man of honor, a man of ability, a man of substance in terms of wealth and character. So he's a worthy man. And of course, immediately, as you hear that he's a relative of theirs and he's honorable and worthy, you're, you're wondering as a reader, I bet this guy's going to help. I bet this guy is going to come to the rescue. And then, of course, as we saw last week, thirdly, she wanders into his field without knowing it. She doesn't even know who he is and certainly doesn't know that she's in his field. Now we're really interested Okay, here it is. This thing's happening. This is the ticket. And you kind of think, if you're thinking along about Yahweh, wow, what's Yahweh doing here? Oh, there goes Yahweh again, blessing his people when all hope seems gone. This worthy guy, and she wanders into his field. The drama is really wonderful here. And then this whole little section, and this escapes us in the English, it's what we call a chiasm, which means that you have a beginning to a center point, and then it backs out the same way it went in. And very regularly in Hebrew, uh, in a particular chapter, they'll wander into the center point of the whole chapter and wander back out to where they started. And they want to make the point of that middle place. That's the way the it's, it's prose, but it's almost poetic in its structure and how they use it to emphasize things. So, Here's the basic trip in. It's uh, the clan of Elimelech, Boaz, gleaning to the middle point, which is, I'm going to hope to find someone in whose sight I will find favor. That's the midpoint. And then it backs out again, gleaning, Boaz, Elimelech, in the first three verses. Elimelech, Boaz, gleaning, and the middle point is... uh, I want to, I hope to find somebody in, who will show me favor today. And then gleaning, eliminate Boaz. Well, you're made to think, it's Boaz. <laughs> it's got to be Boaz. I mean, already you're thinking because of his name being emphasized in those ways. And then you're getting the idea, this bright arrow pointing to him that uh, he's the one that's going to show favor toward her. And so uh, this wonderfully tightly knit structure. And then in the very next verse, in verse 4, he shows up. So it's, it's a wonderful way that the writer is doing. It's, it's kind of like by that at that point, if you're reading carefully, you're thinking, boy, I want to meet this guy, and there he presents him to you. So now's the unfolding of their relationship. Uh, the unfolding of Boaz's commitment of love, more of the unfolding of Ruth's commitment and character. And in all of this, of course, it's how God is coming to the rescue of Naomi, who has lost everything, and her husband dying and her two sons dying. And in this uh, passage, there is some action, but there is the question who is this Moabite, uh, Moabitess Ruth? She's, she's wonderful. Where in the world? How, how could she have this kind of commitment and love? And then our interest is piqued in Boaz. And it's almost like, who are these people? These wonderful people that brought, God has brought into Naomi's life. 
I remember loving that section in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they kept being chased by the guy with the white hat and they never could lose him. And they were looking back saying, who is that guy? You know, just like amazed. And so there's that kind of amazement. Who are these people? And, and we get to feast then on more unfolding of their character in this dialogue. Right off the bat, as he greets his uh, gleaners, he appeals to Yahweh. Verse 4, the Lord Yahweh be with you. And they answer, Yahweh bless you. And so his trust in Yahweh, his allegiance to Yahweh is right up front. And it's implied that his relationship to Yahweh has enabled him to be the kind and honorable man who has the love and respect of his workers. And so this is a believing community of people that that she has uh, come into because the name of Yahweh is on their lips. And immediately he asked the question, to whom does this woman belong? And of course, that's the right question in that society because a woman was either under the care of her father or under the care of a brother or care of a husband. And so in this society, uh, it's ironic question, though, because she belonged to nobody. She was disconnected as is her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law had connections with her sons and her husband, but she lost all connection uh, to that society, normal connection. And so they are isolated and unprotected and impoverished and alienated. So this question is ironic to, to the reader as he reads it. He wants to whisper out loud to him, they don't have any, nobody belongs, they don't belong to anybody. And notice how her reputation preceded her because all he says is she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And later he, uh, Moab, I'm sorry, Boaz says, I have heard, verse 11, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So Boaz obviously had heard about the amazing allegiance of this Moabitess woman, this amazing commitment in which she left her own land to attach herself to Yahweh and his people, whatever might happen to her. But he just didn't know this was Ruth. So when it's pointed out, you just think, so that's Ruth. That's Ruth that I've heard about. That's the feel of this, as though you're meeting somebody that you had heard about and you're very interested to meet. So that's her. And a little word on the gleaners. Uh, they, the, the men generally would take a, a bunch of wheat and they would, or barley, and they had a sickle in this hand. They would cut it off and they would put it behind them. And then the women would come behind and bind up the sh- and create sheaves. Sheaves are bundles, Okay. So they would create these bundles, and then behind the bundlers uh, would be people to move those to the side, and behind them would be the gleaners, and they're picking up whatever wheat is left. Very difficult work because not much would be left because they're trying to do a good job. Uh, But they would be able to get whatever they could after that process. And they could tell when they came to a new field uh, that belonged to someone else because there would be different workers in that field belonging to that owner. 
and probably some kind of border where the things are stacked in different ways, that kind of thing. So apparently Ruth had asked permission wherever she was. This was an extra amount of submission and humility and deference in this society as a foreigner because gleaning was allowed, but she was still asking permission. And apparently after a few hours in one field or possibly several, uh, but maybe just one, she came into Boaz field and she realizes she's in a new field. And as the guy says here, she uh, asks, may I glean and gather among the sheaves? Um, and probably by this, a good translation as Frederick Bush has it is, please let me glean and gather uh, in in bundles, that is the word uh, uh, that means sheaves here has a little preposition in front of it. Please let me glean and gather. It could be translated among the sheaves, but maybe better to let me gather up bundles uh, after the reaper. So she's just asking for normal permission to glean. And he basically says, and so she came and has continued doing that except for a rest. So having seen this... Um, He knows that she is uh, working hard, uh, that she has come out to help provide for her and her mother-in-law. She's taking initiative. She is working. Uh, She is showing a deference and honor and respect in her uh, society. So all of this is to show us the character of Ruth. Every, every word, practically, every description of her is to show how, what a wonderful woman that she is. And so, in, on top of the good report that Boaz had, he's getting more good report uh, from the guy who heads up his uh, harvesting operation. Uh, from this buzz in Bethlehem, he had heard of her amazing character, and now uh, she gets a glowing report as well from this, uh, this foreman. So she comes back with Naomi, casting herself on the care of Yahweh. And here she is in the fields, obediently, respectfully, faithfully working to provide for herself and her mother-in-law in a foreign land. She's a good girl by God's grace. And notice his response. Notice what he, he goes and speaks to her and he says, Now listen, my daughter. Here's the first sign of embrace. She's come to put herself under the wings of Yahweh, we read, uh, to to find refuge in verse 12. And here is a sign already that the wings of Yahweh through the community are beginning to draw her in. He calls this Moabite woman my daughter. And it's interesting, you see, that the very prayer that he prays or the blessing that he pronounces, however you want to look at it in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord. He's the chief means of bringing that blessing into her life. It's the community that is showing the blessing of Yahweh to her as he even prays for it and declares it upon her. And... I want to pause here and, and talk about that because there's, that's what this pa- passage is so full of. That's why I introduced this. As one wrote, grace has a human face. Grace has a human face. It's interesting that uh, some of us uh, a while back, maybe it's a year, two years now, but we took a, an online course with the Chalmers Institute, which is out of Covenant College. 
uh, Dowell and Daniel Olson and uh, the Martinez and Steve and I, uh, and I think they were more diligent in it than I was, actually. Uh, but we all read this, this material, and one of the things that came out, one of the most profound things about the need of the poor is their need of relationship. Their need of relationship. That's how you help the poor, is to give them relationship. They're cut off from the normal attachments in society. They're isolated and alienated from the means of society. And they need relationship to people in position to give them specific economic help or recovery assistance or training and life management. But they also need relationship that simply brings them encouragement, that brings them a change of perspective, a transforming love and support this Chesed, unfailing commitment to stick with them and see them through. They need relationship. And it's not surprising because we're made in the image of the God who is relationship. And so the loss of relationship is devastating. It's far-reaching. And restoration of life and well-being must mean a restoration of of, uh, relationship. And it comes through the ministry of people, of God's people in particular. And the same thing is reflected in addiction. It's always marked by isolation and secrecy for substance or pornography, substance abuse or pornography, for instance. If you're in real and vital relationship, if you have a real presence in each other's life, real sharing and involvement and vulnerability, it's very difficult to be cut out of the herd by the enemy and isolated and have secretive sin in that way. And it's relationship that almost always is used to break the pattern. There's discovery, perhaps. There's confession. Or maybe there's confrontation that initially is shocking for the person, and yet many times they admit to the relief, the relief of not caring that anymore and being loved and, and uh, tended to, as we say. Uh, and as people continue to care for them and help them, they experience a new level of acceptance. A really good friend of mine in a ministry recently spoke of a failing of his and how through the whole process now that he's come out on the other side several years later, how he's been transformed by experiencing afresh the grace of God through the people of God. Just what Ephesians 3 talks about. And so through relationship, people begin to see their problem more clearly. They turn against the problem and begin attacking it with the support of others, not making excuses, not hiding. And that loving commitment helps to transform their lives. Larry Crabb, whom I heard recently, a a nationally known uh, counselor, changed the acronym of his ministry years back from Christian Counseling Ministry to Christian Community Ministry. Because he became convinced that we don't change outside of community. And he, he spoke at this meeting of an experiment that had been run some years ago where this group of people were needing counsel and half of them were counseled by housewives and the other by professional therapists. 
And they said after the period of counseling, they couldn't tell any difference. What they needed was somebody to talk to, somebody to care for them, somebody that they could be accountable for, somebody that would care for them, somebody that would help them talk about the issues and work through their issues. That's what we need. And Larry Crabb says, you know, people pay me to be their friend. That's what happened. He said, people pay me to be their friend. And that's what we're excited about uh, Jeremy Lellick's ministry uh, that's situated in our church, uh, the Association of Biblical Counselors. And one of the huge emphasis of this uh, ministry is its online support. And by paying a certain fee, not only professionals, but pastors and laymen, if you want to call that. In this sense, you know, we're all kind of professionals in the sense that we're called to this. And God equips us by His mercy to help each other. But they've got all of this material online so each of us can be better equipped to enter into each other's lives, better equipped to disciple each other, better equipped to be used as tools for each other's growth, to transforming love, to transparency and accountability. In Larry Crabb's words, so that we can be better friends to each other better ministers in each other's lives. Because grace has a human face. And this is the point with Ruth and Naomi. They were cut off from the normal means of subsistence, the normal fruitful connection with society that brought protection and well-being. But Ruth is being given relationship here. First, she's called my daughter. And then he says, this is your field. Don't go to another one. You are, you're now under the protection and umbrella of my field, my protection. I will put my wings over you. See, he's being the wings of God for her. He says to cling to the women. He, he gives her a special place of advantage among the gleaners, right up front where she gets the greatest advantage, right behind them in a place where normally gleaners never go. But she's put up there in this privileged place uh, she is not regarded as a foreigner anymore in this way. She's been given this kind of family protection. She's told to take water with the rest of them. It's a privilege that gleaners did not have. And then in the second section, beginning with verse 14, kind of part two of this little story, she's given a special family place among them to eat food with them, given access to their food, given an abundance Here's the widow and the widow's mother-in-law who's a widow. And now they're getting an abundance because of the relationship of God's people. And then she gets to glean up right up there with those who are bundling the grain. You talk about increasing your take. There's, she's right there and as they're binding up the grain, she's binding up her own portion. In this way, it's as though he's saying... I'm going to share my field with you. You become a kind of co-owner with this field right now. And whatever you gather, it's yours to take. It's overwhelming, of course, for her. And that's why it says that she falls on her face in verse 10, bowing her face to the ground. Why have I found favor that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And of course, he tells her that he's blessing her because of her faithfulness, her 
her faith, her trust in Yahweh, and and her, his trust in Yah, her trust in Yahweh to take refuge under him. And then again, she pours forth thankfulness in verse thirteen. I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And so, in all of these ways, you see, they have become like uh, Caesar Milan's pack. You see, they come in and help and bring healing and change. And I want to say to you, it's a great privilege we have of being a community of change, that we're a growing, caring community trying to envelop people in a good way, people hurting in various ways, broken in various ways, even outwardly successful and prominent people perhaps, broken in various ways spiritually and emotionally and relationally, in some cases economically and socially, But we don't care. We're the place of the broken people that are showing the chesed love of God to one another and we want to pour it out into other people's lives as well. And so, we form a community of chesed. Chesed. That's what Naomi says in verse 20. May he be blessed of the Lord whose chesed has not forsaken the living or the dead. They are experiencing the very love of God. Grace has a human face here. And Boaz, though, remember, he's a part of a community that is under the chesed love of Yahweh. The Ten Commandments began with this great covenant marriage statement, I'm Yahweh, your God. I delivered you out of Egypt. I knew your affliction. I I defeated your enemy. I provided Moses. I provided the Passover lamb. I parted the Red Sea. I was a day, a cloud by day and a fire by night. I provided water and food in the desert. All of that's behind that statement. I'm your deliverer. I've shown you mercy. And then comes the commandment. Therefore, have no other gods in my presence. That's the feel of that. The love that he has spent himself on for the sake of his people. And you almost tremble at the thought of take another God in your presence. The idea is a a woman taking a man home to her own bed in in the presence of her husband. And God says, having spent himself in this glorious way, don't take another God. Don't have another husband in the face of my commitment to deliver you and love you. And so the covenant is a marriage and God declares and demonstrates his unfailing love and the community of faith rests in that love and puts itself under the wings of that love and forgiveness and acceptance and then extends that kessed love to one another, even to the alien and stranger which she was. Wow, what an example for us. And so, um, though he's the leader, uh, the leading element, it applies to the whole. And I just end with this illustration because our time is up. But, you know, I use the Verizon commercial to talk about the mercies of God that are many. But I'd also like to use it again for you to think of every time I seek to minister to somebody, if I turn around... There's all my peeps behind me, right? The whole people of God are behind me. This whole congregation that 
is trying to do the same acts of love in the community that I am. And if I brought this person into my church, they would just embrace them and love them and care for them. I've got everybody with me, a whole network of God's people that is behind me and with me in a sense. And I know that if I invite them to a Bible study or or small group or to a fellowship, I bring them into the community of Kesson. How cool is that? How glorious. And of course, this is why Jesus prayed in John 17, make them one as we are one. Give them involvement in each other's lives, transparency, responsibility and accountability, togetherness, communion, even as you and I do, Father, so that the world may know that you sent me. People are transformed and convinced that he is the Son of God because they see the Kessid love. I have to end with this verse because you all are showing in so many wonderful ways this kind of love to one another and outside the community. If I had time, I would enumerate that, but I don't. But I I close with this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. Do this more and more. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that we can imitate God himself as Paul tells us to in Ephesians 5 by walking in love, the very love of Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. We thank you, Lord, that your sacrifice has become our means of imitating God. The chesed love of Yahweh has now expressed itself in its fullness through Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, if there ever should be a community of chesed, it should be us, founded upon the Lord Jesus himself who has shown such love to us. Bless us, Lord. We would confess our many sins. We would confess, oh, Lord, how much we've stood against this love and not trusted this love and not devoted ourselves to this love. Make each of us part of that body that together is discovering the glorious love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture
capture trace the wonders of 